How did Cola di Rienzo come to hold the ancient positions of Tribune and then Senator in 14th century Rome? Find out today on Footnoting History. Hello, this is Nicole, and welcome to Footnoting History. This morning, we'll be discussing the life of Cola di Rienzo and his medieval vision of the classical past in 14th century Rome. Cola di Rienzo was born the son of an innkeeper in 1313 in the Regola, one of the 13 rioni, or regions, of the city of Rome. After spending his childhood in Anangi, southeast of the city, Cola returned at around 20 and became a notary. In the Middle Ages, notaries drew up written documents, such as wills, contracts, and letters, and had to study and obtain a license before becoming part of the small class of literate professionals. Therefore, although he had a low social status, being a notary would allow Cola to advance in local government, and, as we will see shortly, interact with even the highest levels of society, including the Pope and Holy Roman Emperor. We're going to be discussing Cola's use of the classical past in the 14th century, But it's important to note that, in various ways, people throughout the Middle Ages used the Roman past, often in claims to renew Roman imperial power. To give one of the most famous examples, Charlemagne in 800 took the title of Emperor of the Romans, as would the kings of Germany from the 10th century. Historians call their empire, of Germany and northern Italy, the Holy Roman Empire. The popes also claimed imperial authority. In the 5th century and again in the 12th, they built magnificent basilicas to emulate those that Constantine, the first Christian emperor, erected in the 4th century. By the 8th century, the popes even asserted that Constantine had given Pope Sylvester imperial authority over the western half of the Roman Empire when Constantine founded his new capital in the eastern Roman Empire at Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul and Turkey. By Cola's time in the 14th century, therefore, there were multiple parties who claimed to hold quote-unquote Roman authority. Charles IV, the Holy Roman Emperor, and the popes, who after 1309 resided in Avignon, a papal territory in modern France, to escape the political turbulence in the city of Rome. Within Rome itself, several aristocratic families, such as the Colonna and Orsini, jockeyed for political preeminence. Aristocratic families linked themselves to the Roman past by incorporating spolia, or remaining pieces of classical architecture, into new buildings and even reused classical structures, like the Orsini in the Theatre of Pompey. Finally, in the 12th century, due initially to a revolt of the Roman people against the popes and the nobility, the city of Rome revived the ancient Roman Senate, electing senators from each of the rioni of the city of Rome. However, after the 12th century, the senators were not always chosen by and did not always represent the interests of the people of Rome. In 1342, the Roman people sent a delegation to Pope Clement VI in Avignon urging him to return to Rome, comprised of 15 citizens of all classes, but led by members of the aristocracy, including Stefano Colonna the Younger. Although Clement refused to leave Avignon, he appointed two barons, Stefano Colonna the Younger and Bertoldo Orsini, as senators. To recap, we have an emperor in Germany, a pope in Avignon, and papally appointed senators from feuding factions of the Roman aristocracy in Rome. In late 1342, the Roman people decided to get rid of these feuding senators and instead set up a communal government of the 13 good men, led by members of the craft and merchant guilds. Of course, they stated that they did so in the name of the Pope, who they acknowledged as their overlord despite his absence from Rome. By this point, then 29-year-old Cola di Rienzo was an established notary 
and the new government sent him, along with an embassy, to announce the new government to the Pope, Clement VI, but also to try and persuade the Pope to return to Rome, along with other requests. Cola's embassy was not successful in persuading Clement to leave Avignon, but his rhetorical skill did catch Clement's attention. After the rest of the delegation returned to Rome, Cardinal Giovanni Colonna, the key representative of the Roman barons' interest in Avignon, tried to discredit Cola. But Pope Clement, impressed by Cola, instead supported the young notary. Although he had Pope Clement's favor, the Colonna family was a powerful enemy. When Cola returned to Rome in 1344, it was as a papally appointed notary to the city of Rome's government. Although the barons remained in control of the city, with two from warring aristocratic families appointed senators by Clement every six months, Cola had a place in the government and a desire to restore the city and usher in a new golden age. He quickly announced his intentions by commissioning an apocalyptic painting on the facade of the senator's palace and through a dramatic speech on and reading of the Emperor Vespasian's bronze tablets, which memorialized the transfer of power from the Roman Senate and people to that emperor in 69 CE. By 1347, Cologne had gained a following, drawn largely from the middle classes in Rome, the lower aristocracy and merchants, that is, who by the 14th century were beginning to become more important than the barons, the high aristocracy, economically and politically. On May 20, 1347, Cola, dressed like a knight in full armor, led an armed procession to the Palace of the Senate on the Capitoline Hill, declared a new republic, and caused the barons to flee from the city. He also declared himself a Roman tribune, an elected official in ancient Rome, but a term that was also given the Christian and specifically apocalyptic meaning of spiritual man by Gregory the Great in the early Middle Ages. Through his use of this title, Cola mixed the republicanism of ancient Rome with Christian and specifically apocalyptic ideas. By calling himself a tribune, and through the constitution set forth for his new government, Cola asserted that the Roman people were taking back the power to rule Rome, powers that might have been given to emperors or popes, but, as his reading of Vespasian's tablets also made clear, could be taken back. So, Cola saw himself as ushering in a new age, one in which the ancient Roman Republic was restored, and sent out letters proclaiming the ideals of his new government across Italy and beyond. These letters included reports to Pope Clement about his reforms, which he purported to do on the Pope's behalf, as his representative. Cola's claims, although hearkening back to ancient Republican and Christian ideals, were quite new. As the medievalist Ron Musto shows, Cola thought that his government, and thus the Roman people, were divinely inspired. In the Middle Ages, popes and kings claimed to rule via divine authority, but Cola was the first to argue that the Roman people, too, could be on the same level. Soon after, Cola announced a feast of Italian unity for August, during which time he would be knighted and crowned with a tribute's laurel wreath a fusion of medieval and ancient customs. During the knighting ceremony, Cola bathed in the basin of the Emperor Constantine in the Baptistry of the Lateran, which was the Pope's home base in the Middle Ages, instead of St. Peter's Cathedral. Cola's likening himself to Constantine raised a lot of eyebrows, and along with his subsequent declaration of the sovereignty of the Roman people later during the festivities, were seen as threats to papal claims to Roman authority, and caused Pope Clement to turn against him. In Avignon, Cola began to be seen as a usurper and heretic, while in Rome itself there were tensions between Cola and the barons. In October, as Cola, with a Roman army, was fighting against the rebellious Orsini and Colonna families, a papal legate summoned Cola back to Rome to aid the barons. 
Nevertheless, Kola and his army subsequently won a stunning victory against the baron's army, which left many barons dead and other arre others arrested. Pope Clement ordered Kola to free the barons and also charged a legate with spreading a smear campaign against Kola, designed ultimately to force Kola to relinquish his title and obey the pope, on threat of excommunication, the highest spiritual penalty. If the Roman people supported Cola, the Pope would place Rome under interdict, a sort of mass excommunication in which the whole community was removed from the church, a heavy threat. Cola was forced to abdicate, and the papal legate, Cardinal Bertrand, declared him a heretic. In Rome, his apartment was trashed, and he fled, exiled and ultimately excommunicated. While Cola was in exile, living like a hermit, the Black Death struck Europe. This plague, which killed nearly half of the population of Europe, was widely seen as a sign of the apocalypse. Cola decided to seek the aid of the Holy Roman Emperor, whom he thought would be Emperor of the Last Days, as Pope Clement's agents searched for him. In June 1350, Cola set out to find Emperor Charles IV in his capital of Prague. In addition to presenting himself as a visionary, Cola claimed that his mother had been impregnated by the former Holy Roman Emperor, Henry VII, while Henry was in Rome in 1312, which would have made Cola Charles's uncle. Although Cola seems to have gained some favor with Charles after months of correspondence, Charles IV knew that he could not ignore Pope Clement's calls for Cola to be sent to Avignon to be tried as a heretic. So he handed Cola over to the Archbishop of Prague to answer to charges of heresy. Even though Pope Clement wanted Cola to be sent to Avignon immediately, Charles prevented the transfer until 1352. It is likely that from 1351 until he was handed over to papal agents in 1352, Cola was no longer imprisoned, and had gained a following in the Holy Roman Empire. When he reached Avignon, Cola's trial began, but in December of 1352, Pope Clement died. Cola begged for forgiveness for what he claimed were misunderstandings of apocalyptic teachings, and asked to be reconciled to the Church. The new pope, Innocent IV, thought that he could use Cola to deal with the turbulence that had broken out in Rome— where in 1353 the Roman people overthrew their baronial senators and replaced them with one of Cola's earliest followers, Francesco Baroncelli, proclaiming him the second tribune. Innocent had Cola appointed as senator and confirmed his status as a knight and sent him to get Rome in order. Once he was back in power, Cola summoned the barons to swear fealty to his government, but as before, some resisted. Once again, Cola found himself at war with the barons and needed to pay the mercenaries in his armies. He therefore levied taxes in Rome. Despite being close to victory, due to taxation and agitation by his enemies, by October 1354 the city was in rebellion against Cola. Cola donned his battle armor and tried to address the people, but the crowd attacked him, so he disguised himself as a poor man and tried to flee. When he was recognized, he flung off his disguise, revealing rich clothing like barons wear. The crowd executed him and desecrated his corpse. His remains were hung upside down outside of the church of San Marcello for two weeks, before being burned by the Colonna at the tomb of Augustus, a potent imperial symbol that had also been used as a Colonna stronghold. Even the Colonna family's final mockery of Cola reflects the variety of medieval understandings and uses of the ancient Roman past. In the 19th century, supporters of Italian unification romanticized Cola, portraying him as their medieval predecessor in removing the Pope's temporal power and uniting Italy. Although Cola's medieval conception of a revived Roman Republic looked very different from that of 19th century liberal nationalists, they both interpreted the ancient Roman past, whose monuments remain physically present, through the lens of their own times. If you go to Rome today, you can see a 19th century statue of Cola at the foot of the Capitoline Hill, 
which has been a seat of city government from ancient times up to today. The municipal government currently operates on the Capitoline in a Renaissance palace. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week.